Good morning, listeners, live and otherwise. And, Mike, when I say otherwise, we have a lot of our listeners who uh, download the show and listen as they're driving down the highway. Uh, perhaps that gives them the chance to speed through the parts when I get lost or something like that. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, we, we appreciate all of our listeners, regardless of whether they're listening live or whether they're listening uh, on the downloads. So uh, for the for the audience, my, my guest today, and, and Michael, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your last name correct as Palomari. That's correct. Being, being from Boston, I thought that probably was fairly correct. And, yeah. and I see with all your time in California, you haven't totally lost all your Boston accent. You spotted that, have you? I did. <laughs> it's been a long time. Moved out here in 76. Yeah, I've been here in the Northern Virginia area since 87. And only the people who live back in the mountains where I grew up think my accent's changed. Everybody here thinks it's still very southwestern Virginian. So <laughs> I guess those are the kind of things that just hang with us when we uh, when we grow up with them, no doubt. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it's kind of funny because I do a lot of public speaking, and I've worked very hard for proper enunciation, at least to the best of my ability. But some folks still still spot still still spot. There you go. Yeah, and I I, I can um, commiserate with you on the on the enunciation part too, because in doing so much speaking, it's important. That's for sure. I noticed in your bio, by the way, that you and I also have something else in common. We both were licensed in the spring of 1980. No kidding. Yeah. I I didn't know that. Yeah. My my first license was in Virginia, of course, and it was the... Back in those days, it was the spring exam. I I don't guess they've quite gotten to the point where they're uh, on call now, at least for for the fundamentals part. I mean, for the for the principles and practice part, I think the fundamentals part with all the the new stuff NCWS is doing with the states for uh, doing uh, the exams at test sites or rather than as the state set up. And does California still do the twice-a-year deal? I, I believe they do. You know, one of the problems we have here, and it's not uncommon, is the, uh, the alleged budgetary constraints. Mm-hmm. And so we're constantly hearing about about that, and then um, whittling the exam down. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a problem, I think, everywhere, but particularly here in California. So I haven't followed the latest, although it, it is a topical subject. It just seems to keep moving around. And we, we can chat about this uh, as we get later in the show, but that, I think that is going to be part of the discussion we'll have in this upcoming meeting. We're both going to attend this future of surveying thing. Yeah, I'm excited about that, and of course that will be held here in in San Diego. And right, yeah. Lord willing, the weather will be accommodating. Yeah, well, it's almost almost inevitable that the weather's pretty good there. I've, every time I've ever been there, it's been pretty nice, with the exception of some fog occasionally. I don't, I'm, I really don't recall if I've ever been there when it rained. Well, you know what? We we schedule our rain is what we do. See, we schedule. Oh, well, that works really well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's funny when we first moved here, um, you know, coming out to survey. That was the one thing I noticed is that the, the rain seemed to fall primarily in the evenings, and I'd wake up in the morning prepared to go out in the field and after hearing rain in the evening, and then lo and behold, it stopped raining. Scheduled at night. Yeah, that works out really well. So what was the draw to California? Well, I, I started surveying in 71, literally the day out of high school, and I worked for one of the oldest um, surveying and engineering companies in the country, um, Whitman and Howard, and they went back 
to the 1800s or even possibly the 1700s. And um, what I had been doing, I'd started surveying when I was uh, 19. Uh, strike that. No, I was 18. I, um, I was working for the MBTA as a consultant. At the young age of 18, I was laying out railroad lines in Boston. I was laying out the supervising engineer for the MBTA. And um, I'd get tired of the, the winters. And um, I had came, come to San Diego in the hopes of working on the, you know, the, the San Diego trolley, the Tijuana trolley. And so my wife and I, with two, two young kids, I was 22, we packed up a U-Haul and drove till we hit the ocean, literally um, the ocean, at Ocean Beach, and uh, decided we'd settle in. And um, it was, you know, it's a surveyor's dream, right, to, to be working in beautiful weather. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've often said, of course, most of my career has been in Virginia, either the southwestern mountains or here in the northern part of the state, but... Um, typically here we have maybe two perfect survey days per year, <laughs> something like that. And and you guys have a little a little different issue out there. I, a quick story on the Boston winters. I I don't know if you know Wayne Harrison. Wayne's a former oh, yes. NSPS president. But uh, last about a little couple months later in the year than it is now, probably uh, late February, early March, or before all the big snows hit last year. Wayne and I were on the phone, and I said, how's your winter been? And he said, oh, it's not been too bad. We only had a couple of snows. And then within a week, that deluge hit up there. So I told him it was all his fault for claiming they hadn't had such a bad winter yet. I, I was, uh, I had friends who were sending me pictures, you know, with the, with the snow seven to eight feet high. Yeah. And that was that was pretty frightening. Um, I actually, because at the time I started, I, my first job was working on Cape Cod, the um, I was on a travel crew, and on a travel crew, we went up to upstate Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont, and we'd get out there oftentimes. It was, you know, it wasn't uncommon to be out in 10 and 15 below zero um, surveying, and um, we were doing, the, the, the firm I worked for, we did a lot of aerial mapping. So what we would do is we would, in the winter, we were laying out vertical control for spring flying, and um and that was that was cold work. That was that was cold. That was pretty bitter. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's it's one of those things. We we say this on the show a lot and just among surveyors in general, it's it's surveying's like a disease. It's you can't seem to shake it once you it gets into your blood and and that's a good thing for the ones of us who who really love it and and take it to heart. I I I read that article you sent me ahead of time, and I think I'd probably seen that article before about measurement is dead, long-lived measurement. But there was a lot in there, I think, um, that that goes to what we're talking about here, too, that ingrained um, sense of, of, I don't know what the right word is, maybe, maybe it's a, a, a sense of obligation in a sense, or maybe it's a sense of just wanting to, uh, get to all of the facts and figure out things. And I, my father was a was a mechanic part of his life. So I, I never cared about figuring out what was wrong with my cars. I just sure. knew that I was always doing something to mess them up. So, yes, yes. <laughs> but but um, it's just one of those things I think. And I, I, that was a really interesting article we wrote. And I know that there's a lot of top uh, conversation about that topic all all across the country in terms of where are things heading and. But I was particularly taken by uh, by some of your comments there near the end when you were talking about 
all of the opportunity that's out there if we're just willing to reach out for it. Yeah, and that's the whole point. And I'm, you know, I'm a strong advocate advocate for that. As as you know, uh, as an example, next month I'll be lecturing. Um, I've got several lectures coming up, uh, and I, I lecture at universities and you know, lecturing across the country. I think the last time I saw you, we may have been in Indiana, um, up through there. But this January, I'm lecturing as part of NBI, the National Business Institute. I'm on their faculty. And the programs we do are related to continuing education for attorneys. And one of the topics that I'll be presenting has to do with water rights. And, and in, I guess I would characterize it more in an abstract sense. But, you know, how do we understand water rights, which is a very important topic out here in the West Coast, in identifying subsurface water and aquifers and things of that sort? Well, I believe that's something a surveyor is well qualified to do. And, um, you know, I think that's something that we should be pursuing. We should be going outside of, no, no pun intended, our conventional boundaries and that we should be pursuing other things. The, 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 the premise behind the measurement is dead is, of course, that we do need to expand our horizons. And, and as I say always, um, everyone measures. Um, every day I'm fascinated with, with, you know, with the advance of drones and GPS. My granddaughter can run a GPS but these, these tools, and that's all they are, are becoming so simplified. Everyone knows where they are, and, and, and it's amazing when you think about that. And once we used to be the masters of measurement, that's no longer our domain, not exclusively anyways. And so we, we need to expand what we're doing. We need to broaden our horizons. Yeah, and I agree with that, and that was the thing that I picked up uh, in your article was that you're such a strong advocate for that, for looking at... Um, the surveyor more as the, and this is not going to come out the way I intend it to, but the surveyor more as the professional whose job it is to help people solve their problems, not just point out what they might be. Well, in, in a lot of what I do, I have five trials going on right now um, up and down the West Coast, and you know I've, I've done federal jury trials. I've, I've, I've testified in excess of 100 trials and, um, out here in the West Coast, and the one thing that always strikes me is, by and large, the vast majority of my work in the type of work that I do, I have two depositions this week, in fact, um, usually starts when the other fellow or the other gal stops. When a surveyor performs a survey, throws some iron in the ground or some hubs, and then they walk away, and, and they, you know, they've created a hornet's nest, and they're either ill-equipped or are unable to advise the client as to what to do next, and that's when my phone rings. And invariably, I have to try to figure out what the problems are. I, I need to propose solutions to the best of my ability, avoid conflict and litigation. And for better or for worse, let's say for better, my fees end up being two to three times um, what the prior surveyor was because that surveyor left a problem there. And what I'm encouraging is other surveyors to, again, expand their horizons and recognize they can provide a professional service, that there's room for them there. You know, if they show up in court, wear a suit and tie, not a T-shirt. Yeah, and, it, and some of the, the part of what was in that article reminded me of, and, and what you just said also reminded me of it, is our, our, our good, good buddy uh, Jeff Lucas down in Alabama always talking about surveyors being the dream crushers rather than the people who help solve those problems. <laughs> yeah, Jeff and I have had that conversation several times. And, and, and you know, it's, um, 
the, the biggest the biggest problem I believe um, I'm a strong advocate for continuing education is that by and large most of us you I'm sure and, and myself many years in the field with a two three four person crew um, the biggest problem I think right now is satellites don't teach surveying and so when I was mentored and trained I was in a three or four person crew and I I, I navigated and gravitated, you know, through the various seats, you know, from the, the, the chain person or the rod person, you know, to, to the crew chief and the licensee. We don't have those mechanisms anymore. We don't, we don't have that. And, That's very true. Yeah, and so the surveyors get out there, and invariably um, they present a problem. And, and I guess I can't blame them, but I can blame the system because we don't have a strong educational platform. That- that actually will be a really good place for us. To, it's time already to go to our break, believe it or not. Yes. So when we come back, we can pick up on that and talk about some of the other things you've uh, advocated. So we'll Thank be you. Right back. Yes. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.seanstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, Mike, you were you were talking about um, processes and and the whole concept of, of how continuing education. I agree that continuing education should be more than it is, and it should provide exactly that, not just continually reviewing the same stuff over and over and over again and helping people figure out ways to expand business and services, which was another thing that I, that I was really uh, uh, interested in in your in your article about the, sort of the entrepreneurship that we have the opportunity to, to exercise but too often don't. Yeah, there's really a, a shortcoming, I think, in the profession with regards to business. When, when I, I attended uh, Wentworth University, uh, up in Boston, as I indicated in '76, when I relocated to the West Coast, 
and um, I was licensed. Well, you and I were licensed at the same time, and so due, due to economic reasons, um, you know, I my family had taken a liking to eating on a regular basis, so I needed to do something. One of the first things I did was I started taking night classes in, in business, and um, and then you know concurrently I studied law and real estate. And uh, it's unfortunate how many how many surveyors are not qualified to be business people. They they all think, well, as soon as I get my license, I'll hang a shingle, and invariably they get you know they get lost. They're they're not good business people, and. And um, in here in the West Coast, a lot of times complaints that the, the common, the most common complaint filed against a practitioner, is not related to his or her ability to survey. It's his or her failure as a business person, contract issues and the like. And um, and as I've I've said again, I say this over and over again. There's rapid innovation in the area of technolo- technology, tools, equipment, GPS and the like, but there's equally as rapid an advancement in business and law, and yet we are not really educating ourselves in that area. That's very true. And in your continuing education uh, activities, I think I read that you that actually goes well beyond just within the serving profession. Oh, oh, oh absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I do, and again, beyond straight-up surveying, is um, I'm currently... Um, involved. One of the projects I have, one of my specialties is um, coastal bluff-top development in, on the West Coast, and um, I saw one of my properties was on sale, got on sale this week for $23 million. Um, we work with a lot of high-end properties here, and one of the things that I do, I'm working on right now on a probably a $12, $15 million property, is I function as a project manager and um, I assemble the team of consultants to analyze or do a due diligence investigation. I'm the one who assembles the civil engineers, the structural engineers, the geologists, and I'm the team leader. And um, and so I'm managing these projects, and I do this for insurance companies also. They'll retain me for oversight and overseer. And I think a surveyor is eminently qualified to do that. Who better, you know, if, if you've been on a project site to understand um, how a project works, how it develops, and the type of documentation. Uh, and the reason civil engineers are generally predominant in that area is simply better education, not necessarily the skill set. They're just, you know, they're versed in, in those areas, and those are areas we should be versed in. And the only way to get us there is continuing education, I believe, is to make the, the pursuit and study of law and business a mandatory provision and and if that were the case, I think then the entry people would be better qualified. It's going to take time, but I, I do think that's the best way to get there. And and I don't think it should be such a hard sell, although a lot of people believe it is, and maybe perhaps some of the people in our licensing boards think that it is. And, and we'll get to this future surveying thing later in the show that we're going to be involved in, but perhaps that's one of the things we should talk about is the fact that so often if you're talking about business classes, whether it's, uh, public relations or contract, whatever the case may be, oftentimes the the answer you get back is, well, that's not that's not important to the surveying profession. It's not that doesn't protect the public. But I would argue that it does protect the public. Oh, oh, oh absolutely, absolutely, it does. And I get the same kind of you know feedback. And so we've had a difficult economy, um, and um, 
and I've talked to surveyors. And, and the problem is the traditional survey model doesn't work anymore. Um, the notion um, that the surveyor um, in doing construction layout and the like, well, with automation and everything else, um, that's simply going away. And so um, how could I say this in a, in, a, in a proper fashion? Over the last few years, while I... Although we're picking up the economy, other surveyors have lamented and complained that that they have no work. Um, I've had the good fortune of doubling my rates and turning work away. Well, why is that? Well, because I'm marketing something different, and um, I'm not limiting myself to the notion of, of markers and monuments in construction work. Um, in and I think if you pursue those other areas as a consultant, litigation expert. Uh, in other areas that we are well versed in, I think it, you you also accomplish something more important. You create a diverse economic base to work from. If if you're limited, whether it and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, if it's if, if, you know if, if your firm is primarily engaged in boundary or construction or GPS, um, that's great. But it's it's a very narrow segment of our economy, and, and that's the, the problem that I have is diversification. I think is the key, and, and that will carry you through good times and bad times. But a, a very narrow business model is, is ineffective. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I've had a, this argument with people over the years where we have this conversation about business versus the, the uh, sanctity of what surveyors think we are or what some, some folk thinks we're, we're all about. And my retort to that always is, well, it's, if you're the best technical surveyor ever lived, but you're not in business anymore, then all that expertise isn't helping anybody. And and that goes back to whether it's through formal education or continuing education that we're really not talking about technical education here. We're talking about, as you point out, business education and the, the ability to interact well with people. And sometimes... I've said this many times on the show, too. I have friends who, who say they became a surveyor so they didn't have to interact with people, and, and that's unfortunate. Oh, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and I'm not, my, you know, I'm not being critical. I, I, on a regular basis, employ two or three other firms um, that are, well, you know, they're skilled at what they do. You know, when, when times are busy, I may, I, I may have two or three other firms performing field work for me. That's their niche. That's good. But as I indicated, um, you know, in the years past, when a surveyor is complaining that he or she doesn't have any work, and then I suggest that they do something different. You know, uh, I, I've, I've done this over and over again with people, and they're complaining. And I say, well, what's, what's your day comprised of? Well, you know, I don't do anything. I get up late, and they go home, and they watch American Idol, I-D-L-E. <laughs> and I say, well, why don't you... Take a night class, or why don't you, you know, learn something? Um, I use GIS. I'm, I have um, a GIS service I've developed here in San Diego. It's an example, a proprietary GIS system. Uh, over the years, I've collected and cataloged historic aerial photographs and other imagery. And so I have a consultant who works with me, and we develop uh, GIS imagery and overlays and what have you. Well, geologists and forensic people call me for an image of something from way back in the 1920s. And I, I sell these images for $1,500 a pop. And, and it's a GIS that I can certify, but it's another area that I've, you know, I've nurtured. And after developing the system, as with anything, um, GIS, get it surveyed. 
how many you know how many surveyors unfortunately are not versed in GIS. So when these people complain that they have no work, I, I encourage them. Well, why don't you go to the library and you know get a get a book on GIS or go online, and maybe in two weeks or three weeks you may have some skill sets that you can now start to apply. So with continuing education. I think that kind of compels people to pursue that, and I think that creates an incentive, economic and otherwise, and that perhaps we can change the direction in, you know, in four or five years that you start integrating these sciences into the exam process, um, then students will aspire to pursue it, but it'll be, it'll be an integral part of the exam system. Make sense? It makes perfect sense, and it also it not only opens up those opportunities for people in practice today, because as you said, you already have those basic skill sets, but it also, I think, enhances the the sales, if that's the right word, or promotion of the profession as being much more broadly expanded. And and I see that in a lot of the students I talk to. You know, when I talk to those those young people, they're looking at doing so many more things than than a lot of folks have done, and even even people in, in our age group, including me in some cases, ha- haven't done. And uh, I just I think when people ask where's the profession going, then I think if you look at that and and sort of learn things from these young folks and what they're thinking, there I think it has a really bright future, just not as we've known it necessarily. Well, well that's true, and that's the point. It's a point you know that, that's important, and 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 your observations I think are really right on. These kids, you know, I used to call them the Nintendo generation. I guess, I don't know, I'd call them the Google kids and all, but they're exposed to an extraordinary um, level of technical um, sciences and tools and things like that, iPhones and Apple phones and drones and all this. Um, and the the entrenched or the seasoned surveyors, like like you and I, I suppose, um, you know, we've, we've I, I'm fortunate I'm not afraid of technology and pursuing it, but to many of my peers, um, they they're uninterested and they're settled. You know, they're settled in their ways, and um, dare I say, by and large, some are very unsophisticated. When you have a conversation about the application of a new technology, and they look at you, you know, like a deer in the headlights, they have no idea what you're talking about, and that's unfortunate um, because what happens is consequently those areas, those things that are an important component, I think, of, of modern, um, modern, modern work, uh, does not go to the surveyor. Someone else raises their hand up and say, I, I can do that. And by and large, a lot of these are, are they're becoming so, so homogenous that they're not requiring the skills of the surveyor. And um, nor the licensing. I mean, look at the drone dispute. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, who, who's, who's, there's no special expertise necessarily for people using drones yet a lot of these kids as you point out that are you know they're living in this computer world they're far more competent at at at, at the application of a drone and applying these 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 programs than than any surveyor is it's simply because that's what they do yeah i agree and i think a lot of it has to do with with culture and the way those kids have grown up um not as you point out not being afraid uh, I think they're willing to take on things that sometimes the, uh, the ones in our generation, uh, and, and I put myself in that category to some degree, have been reluctant to do just because uh, we 
it wasn't our mindset as we were, we were growing up. So maybe that's a topic we can talk about a little bit when we come back. But I definitely want to start, talk some about your uh, your work with Kurt Brown's work and your experiences with him when we get back. So oh, certainly. Let, let's take that break. We'll be right back. Getting into underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Schoenstatt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. And because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trade-in allowances on two locators, any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with, oh, excuse me, Mike Palomari. Beth can't talk here. Uh, we're talking about a lot of different issues, and uh, the young thinkers, have, as we've recur- have uh, referred to them, and 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 I do think part of that, and we'll. we'll just talk about this a couple more minutes. I don't want to get on the Kurt Brown thing, but I, I just think I look at my own grandchildren, uh, who are 21 and 19 now, um, but they're not afraid to tackle anything. You know, they'll, they'll just pick up the computer and just go start looking for stuff, and and it does. They're not intimidated in any way, and I think that's a good sign for the future, where we're creating a generation of people who are in that mode of thinking, whereas sometimes you know, we were always, well, if, gosh, if I go there, what happens? If I push that button, what if it explodes? <laughs> I remember the first time using an EDM, you know, and scared to death, right? And I know you know the story, and you'd measure something with the EDM, and you need to run out there with the chain and the tape and say, well, let me make sure if that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've told this story before on the show, but I was on a project years ago where we were using GPS to set control points for a, right away, a highway project, and the the old survey crews, they probably had the odd lights at that point, I guess, but they were traversing between control stations, 
Right. And when they got, they'd been several miles, and they got back, and they hit within half a foot or less of of the the GPS point, and their reaction was, "Well, that GPS stuff is pretty close." Yes, <laughs> pretty <laughs> <And> close. <laughs> you know, but just um, I know we'll chat about Kurt in a moment, but I just want to add one more thing to that: is the here's I have an outline of how I think we can get there, at least an idea is by by reframing what involves surveying, by redefining it, and uh, as an example, um, uh, some levels of uh, property appraisals, phase one studies, as, as things, things, environmental type studies, the, by making that a part of surveying, and this would take a few years, you, 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 imp- you integrate these sciences as part of the definition of surveying, you begin to test for them. In other words, the, 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 who, who other than the surveyor, as an example, could, could adopt some of these, and by, by creating them a component of surveying, you entice others to enter the career because these sciences and these other things that you and I were chatting about, if they're part of a surveying and surveyors are tested for that, I think that would naturally draw these other kids, these young kids, that have the interest and the inclination to do that. And by, by drawing it in, you start offering programs. You, you'll make that part of surveying. You, you can bring that in you know, and make it something. Um, and I think that's you know, one of the keys. We have to entice and attract. And I, I don't think we've done a good job there of, of presenting that. Yeah, and, and we kind of see that on the world stage in, in other countries. And even in FIG, you, you look at the commissions in FIG, and they cover all of those things. Um, and, and it's just something we here, for whatever reason, haven't bought into. You know, one other, I, I use this all the time. You know, I, I, you and I have seen each other at the ESRI conference here in San Diego, and as I always tell people, yeah, it's an amazing. You know, I, I've gone to an ESRI conference, and there's 17,000 map makers and seven surveyors, and, and people from all over the world are coming to San Diego in an economic downturn, those halls are packed. And I remember when making maps was exclusively within the province of the surveyors. What happened there? Right. You know, so that, so, I mean, we should be embracing, we should control and own GIS, but, but we don't. And we're slowly learning that it's, you know, it's, it's an important tool and the GIS people want us in there. But when I, I present GIS to some a surveyor, someone that's been out there a while, their eyes roll. You know, they'd rather sit under a tree and, you know, shoot something. And actually, that's a, that thought is is a good segue to actually start talking about um, Kurt Brown because nothing we're saying here is to undermine the underlying principles and practice uh, experiences of, of of surveying on the on the boundary side. Yes. And uh, so maybe that's a good segue to get into your uh, experiences with, and, and that must have been such a rewarding thing to actually spend some time with, with Curtis Brown. And you might even want to talk to our audience a little bit about who Curtis Brown is. Some people may not know. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Brown, um, the late Kurt Brown, and trying to recall, he would have been 100, I think, in 2008. I think he was born in uh, 1908. And Kurt is recognized, I think, Undisputed is the is the world's dare I say the world's foremost authority on on boundary surveying, and um, Kurt 
Kurt was just a hold on a second. Kurt was a um was an incredible individual. He has I think they're at the seventh edition boundary control and legal principles and, and evidence who he uh, he co-authored with uh, Don Wilson and Walt Robillard and early on uh, he had another um, uh, partner his name escapes me um, Kurt Kurt is still recognized he is still cited in um, court decisions across the country I did a recent review of it and I think the most recent one came up in in Maine where they continue to cite uh, Kurt's work. Kurt Kurt was um, was uh, was from San Diego. When I was attending classes at uh, Miramar, let me think which university it was. It was Mira Mesa Mesa College. I was studying Kurt's books, and I noticed that he um, was from San Diego. And I started asking around to people. I said, "Gosh, this this fellow Kurt Brown seems, you know, to, to be." pretty much everywhere, what do you know about him? And I was told that he had retired. And that was back in, I'd say, 78, 79. And so I took it upon myself to call him. I said, hey, you know, Mr. Brown, I'm, I'm interested in, in your book. And he said, well, come on over. And that started off just a spectacular relationship with him. And when I was studying his books, I did something kind of odd, I suppose, but um, most of his his cases came out of San Diego, and so I loved the surveying and I loved the study, and so I actually started researching his stories, his principles, by obtaining copies of the actual maps that he relied upon here in San Diego. And and um, Kurt's office was about, coincidentally, my office. He was probably half a mile away, and um, Kurt would come by the office unannounced in his later years. My secretary would I could hear her. She'd say, hello, Mr. Brown, how are you today? And he'd say, great, and is, is Mike here? And I'd tell my secretary immediately, cancel the next two days. Whatever's on the calendar, throw it out. And Kurt would take me under his wing, literally and figuratively, and we'd go around town, and he would, um, he would share things with me. He would share with me cases, and we'd go look at things and maps and records. And... Um, Kurt was, you know, was just incredible. In 19, I think 65, 65, maybe 66, he was NS, ACSM, NS, ACSM president, and um, he, he just wrote lots of material, lots and lots of articles. Um, and um, I don't know, I could go on and on about him. Um, his work, you know, still stands the test of time. And what's interesting is um, through Mark Sheva's, the um, with the American Surveyor, you know, we serially release copies of Kurt's uh, articles and stories, and he bequeathed all of that to me with, with the consent of his his uh, uh, widow Thelma. And um, you know, the idea was to promote his ideas, and they're still they still resonate. You know, as you as you well point out, Kurt's interesting because um, I've studied everything you know that he's written, published, and spent considerable time with him. Just you know, just being with him and talking, and interestingly enough, and I find this fascinating, he never labored too much on the technical aspects of surveying. In other words, he would take the approach as I do today, and at the risk of hopefully not of insulting anyone. But GIS is is just another GIS is just um, and GPS are, are merely tools. And Kurt predicted the use of 
satellite surveying 50, 60 years ago. He, he had indicated that that would be happening. But he, he always, you know, reminded us that those were just simply tools and that the fundamentals of boundary need to survive. And um, in all of these things that he's, he's outlined still, you know, still hold today. And that's pretty amazing if you think about it. You think about that period of time, how long ago that has been. And when you when you said the, the whole satellite part and, and that period of time, I was thinking back to myself standing out in the back of our place in the middle of nowhere watching the Sputnik go over. <laughs> uh, and, and I can't imagine have, having thought to myself, um, someday... <laughs> I mean that's that's so forward thinking. I guess is the point I'm making is that uh, to have someone with such such vision uh, as, as he did, and with these articles, is it a never-ending supply of articles or? or well, you, you, you know, when, when you, in fact, you, you were instrumental in, in 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 helping myself and Paul Cuomo with, with that when yep. when we were working on this way back when, and, and, and I'll just quickly point out, you know, I. I I, um, the, the book, the, the the Kurt Brown Chronicles, his publication, um, I I, um, I devoted it to Paul Como. Uh, Paul and I were, were very close. We started this this project together, and um, and it took me about ten years to gather up these papers and articles and publications because um, some of them would show up and they were disparate. I suppose is a good way. So I would track them down. From across universities across the country, and um, and then um, compile them. So I don't know if it's endless, but one of the things that I've done is in compiling the chronicles is I broke the um, the topics up into a variety of subjects. I, I thought that was interesting. That Kurt, uh, as opposed to a chronological you know discourse, he had some common themes, and and as I think we all know professionalism and ethics which had a big impression on me were a predominant theme in you know in his writings and lectures and so i've broken them up in a lot of his presentations so as opposed to necessarily being endless the articles are some of them are quite expansive and so what i'm doing with the magazine is to you know serially releasing them and presenting them and also because he has such a vast um you know amount of information depending upon current themes that affect us today, both in the profession or society, I can draw from those writings and present something that really is something quite topical. Um, some of the Kurt's thoughts have application today, and as we have developments or debates on different topics of surveying, I can draw from that body of work and, you know, and keep Kurt relevant. And, and I think that's important. I would agree. We're, we're almost to our last break here. So when we come back, maybe we can pick up on this a little bit more and, and how useful this uh, information is and can be moving forward. And then I would like to talk to you some in the last segment about what we're going to be doing out in San Diego pretty soon, talking about this whole future of survey thing. I think a lot of the things we've talked about today are instrumental in that. So no question. let's go to that break. We'll be right back. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? 
click on repair department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to specials and sales under the buy now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. In our last segment uh, today with Mike Palomari, I'd like Mike to talk a little bit more about uh, Kurt Brown's work and availability and what you're doing with it, and and I know you've talked about that a bit. And then I'd also like to talk about not only his philosophies moving forward, some of the business practices that you've picked up on and just basically our entire conversation today and what applications you might see that we can utilize for this this project we're going to be involved in out in California soon with the NCWS uh, Future of Surveying Task Force. Sure, I'd be delighted. You know, as I'd indicated, the courts the, the courts the courts still recognize Kurt, and they draw from him in framing their opinions on on certain cases across the country. And I, I think um, the philosophies of Kurt Brown. Um, and uh, Don Don Wilson and Walt, you know, Robillard, uh, they they still they still resonate. And the the thing that I feel is important. Um, well, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, years ago, 1988, I was at a conference with Kurt, and we were up in Anaheim. And um, God, uh, Ben Buckner was there, Frank Moffat, Walt was there, and some young fellow came up and started getting mouthy with Kurt. It was kind of an insult. It was insulting to me. And he started challenging Kurt on some of his writings. And so Kurt just nodded his head and just kept agreeing with this fellow. And this younger guy thought that he had, you know, proven to Kurt Brown that he was a more proficient surveyor. And so as he walked away, um, I said to Kurt, Kurt, you know, are you okay with that conversation? And he said, well, he said, this guy knows everything, um, and he's correct that to the extent he is critical of my opinion. At the time I wrote that opinion, it was valid. He said, but the Supreme Court ruled differently uh, subsequent to that, and so therefore my opinion is obsolete. He said, but this young, this young guy 
that isn't bright enough to realize that that's the case. In other words, that, that things have changed. And so Kurt was the first one to admit it. And he, always, he was always challenged, or he was challenged in my assessment frequently on his writings. And he was the first one to acknowledge, well, those writings are no longer obsolete. And so both he and I feel very strongly, and I do, that with regards to the notion of continuing education, one of the biggest areas, the most rapidly changing areas of our, uh, our, our practice is law. You know, it's not just computers and science, but the courts are constantly issuing new opinions. And many of these opinions may be based upon something Kurt wrote or said, but the law has changed. And so, you know, we need to recognize that. There's a great article out there by a title company president who talks about this, and he cites Kurt. And he says, if you were to rely solely on Kurt Brown, you would have been correct five years ago, but you're no longer correct today. And so I think that's the relevance of Kurt, you know, Kurt's work, um, in that, you know, that these are changes here. Um, in, 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 in the second part of, of your question, the deal that I worked out with, with Thelma Brown, Kurt's widow, is that I would, you know, make these writings available. And they are available uh, through the American Surveyor magazine. Mark's been very gracious and in, in sharing those, um, they are compiled in a, in a large volume, the Kurt Brown Chronicles. And my, my objective is to get these stories out there so people can think about them. And it's amazing when you read something he wrote, you know, back in the 50s, and you, you, you shake your head and say, my God, that could have been written yesterday. And, and that's the value of it. We need to continue learning from, from, you know, folks like him. And when the courts cite him, when our courts across the country refer to Brown, that tells you something, and that's important. Yeah, I find myself kind of doing the same thing sometimes, because on occasion, I will get requests from someone who is looking for a particular paper that he wrote or a presentation he gave at an ACSM conference whenever, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have we have archives of all that stuff. And so every time I do that, I'll pull it out and just start reading it, and I'll have those same sorts of uh, reactions sometimes that that you just did. Um, my goodness, that could have been written yesterday. And but it is, I think, important as you pointed out that sometimes we get so caught up in what we depend upon to create our beliefs, we don't we fail to see whether or not something has occurred that would make that no longer valid. Um, and and I think that's a mistake. It's a huge mistake. And as I say. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of peer-to-peer work. You know, I, I get involved. I've got several of these going on right now where lawyers or insurance companies or even surveyors will call me to, you know, to, to kind of mediate the dispute between surveyors. And um, insurance companies, as I say, pay me to do this if there's a dispute, if we can, if we can you know, resolve it. And, um, and so when we get two competing surveys or surveyors, you know, the applications of Brown work. You know, we can, we can present it. Uh, and, and say, well, okay, how you know how would you apply this? And with a thoughtful application of Brown's principles, um, we can find we can invariably find a solution. And if not necessarily in his express writings, in his philosophy, you know that Kurt Kurt advocated, you know that you know that we have we have a mechanism to solve these problems. And and our probably our biggest impediment, I think, is is survey ego. You know, to, to have two surveyors arguing over two hundredths of a foot. Um, you know, doesn't benefit anybody, but, you know, sure enough, one of them will lock his heels in or her heels in and say, nope, nope, I'm correct, and, you know, that you're off by two hundredths. I mean, that kind of absurdity, 
it, it's uh, it just doesn't benefit anybody. I think you mentioned an example of that in in that article we were talking about earlier, the mine uh, measurements dead article. I think you made mention of a situation you were involved in once where that that became a big issue. Over oh yeah, I had it. Would cost fifteen thousand dollars. A surveyor called me off by a hundred, and um, and so I I kept telling the attorney this may have been the case I was referring to. I told our attorney give him the hundreds, and he said, Mike, we can't because that would admit that your survey is less than superior to his. In the eyes of a jury, they'll think that he is the superior surveyor. So we spent fifteen thousand dollars to prevail over a hundred. <laughs> a high price for someone to pay. Right? Oh, yeah. It was horrible. It was, I was oh, and by the way, going back to Paul Cuomo, it, it would be uh, remiss of me to not uh, add to what you said about Paul being such a stellar person. Uh, he, he's one of the nicest people I think I've ever known. We're still very close um, to, you know, to the family, my wife and I, with, with Peg. Um, they're very close, and um, we, we keep in close touch with, with the whole family. My wife is, is very close to his widow, so, yeah, he's still very important. Well, one of the things that... Uh, led me to, to contact you right at this particular moment was something you had written in response to this upcoming adventure we're going to embark upon out in San Diego for the future surveying. And and you made mention of, of looking back and learning from uh, Kurt Brown's principles. And it seems to me that there's there's a lot of things to learn here not only from his writings but also from from just the whole idea of practice itself in trying to figure out what's going to be the definition of the practice of surveying as we move forward and what the future of surveying is going to be. And it just seemed to me that it was a good time to have you join me and have a discussion about that because, like I said, that thing's going to be coming up in in a couple of months. Um, And based on our conversation, all the things I've read, I'm, I'm led to believe that that's what you were talking about was we have to present surveying in a broader context and not not giving away our heritage or our history or the underlying principles of what we do, but understanding that there is a business side to it and that that's what helps to make the professionalism. Oh, there's no question. And as I, I say over and over again, if you don't help yourself, no one else will. You know, we need to be the vanguards of our profession. We need to preserve it. And, and I think, as you know, my expertise is boundary. And, um, and as I said, I've got five trials going on right now. I, I, you know, I just live in the world of boundary. I'm not a GPS expert, nor am I a GIS expert. Um, but I retain people. What I do when I need those skills, I retain consultants to work for me. And that's probably the first, the first thing that people, you know, could think about is that you don't have to be the master of everything. And um, in that there are other areas that we can, you know, explore, if you will, and, and perhaps exploit. The, the, the professional surveyor, I think, needs to encompass many more things. I'd mentioned, like, phase one environmental studies. I'm lecturing um, in January in a legal forum on bound, uh, water, water resources and how do you locate water claims and things of that sort. There's no reason that the surveyor cannot serve in that role as an administrator. I, I, uh, I've worked for insurance companies um, as a project manager, as a consultant, assembling other consultants. The problem, I think, with the surveyor is that he or she feels that you know they're subordinate to the civil engineer. In fact, I just wrote something about that, or no, strike that. I, I published something Kurt had written on that, and we allow ourselves to be into that mindset 
Well, I've been in business 35-plus years, um, 20 years when I was running several crews. Um, the civil, you know, the um, 5% of my work maybe was construction, but invariably the civil engineers ended up working for me. You know, I was the one that retained the civils, and surveyors have allowed themselves to fall into that situation. Um, the surveyors should be taken a more, you know, predominant role I think in, in all aspects, because he or she can assemble those teams. He or she really has the vision. And I think the way we get there is we need to become more proficient at business um, and, and also understand the notion of contracting in practices. There's areas out there that are up for grabs, I think. Um, GIS might be a good example. Um, you know, the GIS community is trying to break down the surveying community because it's a segue or a path for them to attain some kind of a licensure. And the easiest path that they can go through, I think, is surveying. Well, if we don't, if the traditional surveyors don't protect that province, then that will happen. And soon, you know, boundary surveyors will become subordinate to the notion of the GIS. And I predict, I predict that we will soon see some kind of a court ruling. And we've already seen it coming out. I think in your neighborhood there may have been a decision which, which rates a GIS boundary as superior to a conventional boundary. We need to get in front of that. You know, we need to get in front of that. We need to prevent that from happening. And we need to take control of our direction. But, you know, we tend to be passive in that regard. And, again, I return to the notion of continuing education. By integrating that, we will make it important, if nothing else, for an economic incentive. But until we do that, I just think people will, you know, the surveyors will continue to accept what, the scraps left from the table when we should be serving, you know, the main meal. I mean, I really think we should be doing that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I just scribbled down on my notepad here, Captain, captain of the team is is the place we ought to be. That doesn't necessarily mean you know how to play every position, but but you you know enough about how the team's supposed to operate to, to be the one uh, leading the way. And so we find ourselves here 30 seconds away from the end of the show, so I want to make sure I thank you for being with me today. It's been great to have you on the show and uh, to hear your perspectives, and perhaps when I see you in San Diego, we'll figure out how to do that guitar playing together. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Wonderful. It's been a delight for me. It's been a, an absolute joy and pleasure. It's been uh, been my pleasure to have you and, and sharing all you uh, know about Kurt, and I'm looking forward to this conversation we're going to have out there on the future. So. I will see you in a couple of months, I guess. Looking forward to it. Travel safe. You too. Take care. Yes. Bye-bye. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.